to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com okay i'm usually advertising for other companies but i really want to promote an event that i am co-hosting coming up called into pleasure that features a lot of past guests i would love to see you slutty scholars there virtually that is you can find all of the info and buy tickets at intopleasure.com the event is open to women and any marginalized genders and right now the early bird which is lasting until march 21st full day is only 97 dollars into pleasure was created by past podcast guest burlesque star Michelle Lamour. It is an all virtual event happening on April 2nd from 9.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. On April 2nd, we'll we, we will dive into pleasure. We will learn from experts about sexuality, sensuality, and play. Absolutely no experience required. These classes are great if you are just starting your pleasure journey or if you are a pleasure pro. Join us for a full day of activities or you can pick and choose your own pleasure classes a la carte. I will be speaking alongside past podcast guests Goddess Coco Meow and Jave DeBay, as well as Michelle Lamore and this amazing bondage duo named Leaf and Icarus. All of the sessions are super interactive and cover everything from beauty rituals to kink and rope tying and even sensual movement. We'll also be having a great virtual goodie bag featuring some really amazing advertisers. So come get Into Pleasure with me and get your early bird discount tickets now at intopleasure.com. Hope to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm excited to welcome Jessica. Jessica is a curator of brave spaces for people to own their power and awaken to their most expansive selves. Through her work as a coach and retreat facilitator, she realized it was people's relationships that needed healing the most. That's when she decided to launch her podcast, Open Late, which you must check out, a look at relationships through her life of consensual non-monogamy. She wants to inspire people to create designer relationships filled with truth, vulnerability, intimacy, and play. And I got to meet Jessica during this awesome uh, retreat that we did for pineapple support. Uh, and it was amazing. She led some yoga. One of her partners did massage and breath work and they, they, together they do all of these things. So really happy to have you here. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much, Nicoletta. Yeah, I can't believe we just met like two weeks ago. <laughs> I know, we really got on it. We're like, okay, let's connect. We're going to do retreats. We got to record a podcast. I think we both are like expansive thinkers. Yes, absolutely. I feel that. Okay, so I know you've covered this on your podcast, but it is always nice for listeners to hear, I think, different people's experiences. So tell our listeners a little bit how you personally got started on your non-monogamy journey. Yes. Well, the long story short is we had an accidental threesome that was not planned and never really thought about before. Um, accidental. I got to hear more about this because I feel like on the show and everyone's always like, oh, you have to plan and you have to like talk and whatever. But accidental threesomes happen. Totally, I guess. totally accidental, very organic. And my husband always makes the joke that he is sort of masterminded and my friend and I are like, no way, this just, this just happened. Um, but yeah, it was New Year's Eve one year and he and I weren't even married yet. Um, we had been sort of in a committed relationship for a little over six months and we just ended up taking home a girlfriend of mine who I always knew there was an attraction there. Like I was attracted to women my whole life, but never really acted on it and had a lot of, you know, shame around certain things or embarrassment around like what that would mean. I was very uncomfortable with my own sexuality really until I met my husband. And so that evening was mind blowing. And it was like Pandora's box. <laughs> I was like, I'm never putting the lid back on this box. Um, and lucky for me, you know, and, and I think my experience and my awakening as a woman to like my own, you know, sexual empowerment, I decided to like go there. Um, because I could have put the lid back on the box and I could have listened to a lot of the voices in my head that were like, 
what does this mean? This is bad. This is wrong. Um, what are people going to think? Those were a lot of my conversations the next morning. Um, but I didn't. And I'm so grateful because after that, we just sort of dipped our toes into little monogamish type things. And we went to like a sex club in like San Francisco. And then we went to Burning Man um, the following year and just had all of these beautiful experiences together. And that evolved over the next couple of years into like two, three years later, we started to open up our marriage and and do things separately and have these experiences and then come back and talk about them. And it's just been kind of this evolving journey of what we like, what we don't like, and sort of creating our own rules and, and boundaries and agreements um, for what our relationship could look like, which now is like very open and polyamorous and really fun. The three-way went well then, obviously? It went really well. Yes. It was the most incredible night of my life. It was so flowy and inclusive and, um, but also just easy. I mean, there were a little bit of nerves, but I used to drink a lot more than I do now. So there was a lot of liquid courage in there as well. Um, but yeah, and I think a lot of that, you know, goes to, or I, I guess I could credit the other woman. We were friends for a long time and she was an incredible human that was very self-aware and sort of just came into this experience without expectations. And, you know, the three of us never had any drama. We would see each other from time to time after that. And it was just very easy, you know, even when it sort of fizzled out or she would start dating somebody and things would kind of ebb and flow. Um, it was just always really easy. I mean, I would love for everyone to have positive um, experiences with accidental threesomes. And I know at least with some of the, the couples that are friends, colleagues, clients that might not work for them. Do you think there was anything in your relationship before this happened that maybe allowed for this to go smoothly, whether that was like communication skills or things that y'all had worked on already? Yeah, totally. Um, my husband and I, sort of entered into our relationship at a really interesting point in our lives. We both had just done a personal development course where it was like, it's a deep dive on, you know, your emotional intelligence and sort of breaking out of limitations. And mm -hmm. a lot of that for me was the way I communicated, the way I sort of lived in my body. Um, so I had a lot of anxiety before that course and that helped me not only start to use my voice, but to realize that the way I was living before was sort of a shell of like who I really was because I was afraid of, you know, just what people would think or what people would say if I lived the way that I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And so I think that for us, that first year and a half that we knew each other, we were already on that journey together. And so when we decided- of like being our authentic selves together. Totally, yeah. And when we decided to be in a committed relationship, it was like, let's be super authentic. So we had already spoken about, you know, the idea of just being honest if we were attracted to somebody else, because we both agreed that that doesn't stop because you enter into a committed relationship. We had never talked about being open or, you know, sleeping with other people um, or even threesomes. I think I had started to tell him that I was really attracted to women because I started to own that for myself. But in my super limited, I think, expression of my own sexuality up until that point, I never imagined that it would go anywhere. It was just like, you know, you see a beautiful photo and you're like, wow, I really like this photographer. <laughs> and I would see a beautiful woman and I would say that, you know, that girl is like really gorgeous um, and invited him to do the same because, you know, we were 27 and 28. We had never been in relationships where that was okay. And so we had started to express that. And then for sure, living you know, very authentically and working on our communication skills, which they weren't great back then. Not like they are now, but they were good. Yeah. But I think that like open is so subjective to so many people. Like there are couples out there who would think that even expressing that desire for others or expressing attraction to others doesn't even feel comfortable yet. Mm -hmm. And so I think like you were already more open than some are starting out. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. 
I mean, there's so many ways to have a hot, delicious three and more some. Mm-hmm. And what do you think in, you know, that first experience, like what made it a positive experience? What made it good? Do you know what made it really great is when we, so we started like kind of hooking up and making out at the club that we were at on New Year's. And then that's my, always fun the like, you know, yeah. the sexy buildup. The sexy buildup, especially in public, you know, and I've always sort of had a, a thing about like PDA. Um, and my husband just sort of like stepped back and was like, okay, cool. I'm going to like let them do their thing. And that happened like the whole drive home in the back of a cab. Nice, <laughs> nice. Amazing. It was like the longest cab ride of my life. This was, you know, back before Uber. Um, and then when we got home, Apparently I started like bossing my husband around. Well, my now husband back then we weren't married, but he was like, yeah, you were very bossy. You were like, get us wine and like do this and you know, bring water upstairs. And so he like- and had you us- to explore any like BDSM power dynamics or Never. it just kind of came over you naturally? Well, it sort of came over me naturally. I think that was a thing that I would do when I would have a little bit to drink sometimes. It would get really bossy. Um, and the only power dynamic that we had explored was actually the other way around with me being submissive and mm. him being dominant. So yeah. it was like an interesting switch. Um, and yeah, he gave us a lot of space. So we, she and I were upstairs alone for a while, which I think actually really helped to your question is it gave us the the time to sort of like get to know each other because it was we were each other's first threesome mm-hmm. with another woman. Um, and so I was definitely nervous, but I knew her so well that it, that t- took a little bit of that that edge off. And he sort of like waited till he was like invited, and that was nice um, because I think it it had us feel very connected, and it wasn't just like um, experiences that I had assumed threesomes would be like before were like very for the like male. performative for yeah, the guy, performative for the guy exactly. Yeah. So that was really nice and. Um, I think it helped that we all had a friendship too. Not yeah. that it can happen amazing with a stranger, you know, but I think that that was a plus <laughs> that helped us out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, and for some that doesn't work, you know, they'd rather have it with somebody that they don't know, but I think for some that can feel safer because it's like, okay, we know this person respects the boundaries of our relationship. We know this, it's not going to be weird with this person. We know we have good communication with this person, mm-hmm. but other times folks are like, I don't ever want to see you again. And I think right. not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's good to be curious for yourself. If you're listening, like why you have the preferences that you have and what that's about just to explore your own feelings and intentions and potential hangups. Totally. And it's interesting that you bring that up because back then um, it didn't really matter that like that, I think made it a little less stressful that we knew her and it made it a little yeah. bit more comfortable, but certainly the next morning, then it was a negative because I was like, what are people going to think? Like, you know, we, ha- we had all these like mutual friends, you know, we worked together actually. So I was like, are people going to find out? And then like, I felt like the next morning it was my duty to text her as soon as I woke up. Like, I won't tell anybody, like, if you don't want, like, I would never tell anybody about this. Like my immediate thought was like that people can't find out and that this was bad and wrong, mm. which is so telling. That was like your own internal voice of this is bad and wrong. Totally. Um, and it was just more of a stress of like what people would think. It wasn't really me. It was like, you know, this, this ego kind of yeah. <laughs> stressed out, very shamed, um, ashamed of my own sexuality version of myself. And so the fact that I knew her the next day added a lot more stress where I feel like if it was a stranger, maybe the post, you know, <laughs> sort of unraveling of the experience would have been easier. Um, but that didn't last very long. I think my husband and I had an amazing conversation around like, what did you feel and did you enjoy it? And like, who cares what other people think? He's always been like a great sort of mirror for me in that way. Um, but it is interesting how you said that. And I was like, Oh, that kind of stressed me out the next day. Yeah. How, I mean, it sounds like you had a nice conversation, but like what was most helpful in working through that? Um, Mm. 
And I guess just as a larger question, the the shame as well. Because um, I know for myself, when I had started opening things up in my own relationships, even when I knew that I was, quote unquote, allowed to do something or that was within the boundaries, the first few times afterwards, I was like, I would wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety and be like, I cheated on my partner. Mm-hmm. Because it was this really internalized belief that like I had done, like this is bad. I had done something wrong. Yes, totally. I've been there. Um, yeah, even in the most like consensual experiences. So to answer your question, it's a very distinct thing. My part, partly because of the emotional intelligence work we were doing um, at the time, my husband was like, okay, so what did you experience last night? And kind of like walked me through going back to my own experience, not clouded by, you know, what people would perceive mm-hmm. and how I was feeling the next morning, like somatically, like what was showing up. And it was, you know, very like things that I would describe as like anxious feelings, like heart racing, sweaty palms, um, maybe a little stomach thing. Mm -hmm. And he was like, okay, that's interesting because that's also like, how would you describe being excited or, you know, feeling like anticipation about something that you would enjoy. And it's all the same things. And so in that moment, I was like, oh yeah, I know where this is going. We really do name our emotions because anxiety and fear show up the same way as excitement and anticipation in our to bodies. An extent, yeah, it's a mm-hmm. it's arousal of the physical body, not just sexual arousal, but arousal. Yeah, and you want like you want enough of it, right, to like feel sexy, but then when it's too much, it's like game off. Totally. And in that like. A split second, I was like, yeah, I got to decide like what to name this. And this is certainly the same way I feel when I'm like in a, in, in a positive emotion about mm-hmm. something that I want to do. Um, yeah. And so I was like, okay, this is a really like, this is a mindset shift for me. So it and wasn't so- the somatic sensation. It was your interpretation mm-hmm. of the sensation. Yeah. Cause I was like interpreting it as fear, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like a huge shift. After that, I started to really pay attention to like my body and like what I was naming my responses. And Um, were you already doing yoga and other somatic practices at that point? I was practicing yoga, but I hadn't yet done like a yoga teacher training. And Mm -hmm. I hadn't done all of the work that I've, you know, done since with like training with sound therapy and going on my own spiritual journey. I was like doing yoga for the workout at that point in my life. I was like, I, I bring that up because I think that it was, it sounds like that was the strength of y'all's going in was like some type of body awareness or at least discussion of the body. And I think for listeners out there, there's no like one way to do non-monogamy. And I think one skill that I would argue is important for any relationship, monogamous or not, is that like knowledge of, of body and this sort of like somatic piece of what am mm-hmm. I experiencing moment to moment so that you can be aware of what's happening for you and talk about it. Um, either with yourself or with a partner, because if you don't, I think a lot of people then when they feel a un- an uncomfortable feeling in a relationship, whether that be heart racing or quote unquote jealousy or whatever it is, then they immediately think this is bad and I shouldn't feel this way. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of shut it down as opposed to like being curious about it and talking about it and figuring out, well, what does this mean? How do I work with this? Yes, Totally. Yeah. Body awareness is really everything because I mean, most of us live all day long, like in our, in our heads and we're like cut off from the neck down or I'm generalizing here, but it's a lot of times a a Western person's experience to be like constantly living in that fight or flight, which really cuts you off from everything that's happening. And your body is just as intelligent, if not more than your, your brain. Well, what we think of is the brain because we really have two. And so have there been, and what have been some of the maybe most challenging or other hardest parts along the way? So I hear one is like that internal voice of like shame and judgment while other people think. Um, What have been some other like areas that have been most difficult to navigate um, Mm. on this journey? Yeah, I would say that one of the bigger sort of struggles that we've had is breaking out of the maybe like auto programming for how we both saw like love modeled in our Mm -hmm. in our parents or in the experiences of the people who you know raised us um because 
if if I'm being truthful, when I look back and people are always like, well, there had to be drama. We've actually had a really smooth road, but it didn't come without it's like bumps and bouts of jealousy. I would say that for I think I guess smooth doesn't necessarily mean not work, right? Mm -hmm. I think smooth work, but you still, you know, obviously put in work on yourself to, to get to this point. And I think, yeah, I imagine that when a lot of people hear non-monogamy and sometimes it is fucking hard, like it is, there is a lot of work, just like any relationship. Um, but I guess it doesn't have to mean it's like horrible and dramatic. It's just like, oh, this was work. Something that we talk about a lot in this episode is doing the work on yourself for yourself. One way to put yourself on top of your to-do list is through a pleasure practice. And for that, I love Dipsy. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S and S. Dipsy is an app full of sexy audio stories, and now they even have brand new written stories. No matter who you're into or what turns you on, Dipsy helps bring the stories to life anytime, anywhere. They also have wellness and sleep sessions. I have been practicing doing something for myself to start the day before I open my work emails and check social media, and it has made a huge difference in my mood and my day. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering that extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S and S. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A Dipsy Stories dot com slash s and s dipsy stories dot com slash s and s okay next up i am so excited to be sponsored by beducated beducated is like the netflix of sexual wellness you can get 65 percent off beducated's yearly pass with our code s and s They believe that sexual happiness is trainable. They are an online course platform with easy to follow video, audio, and written guides. I love sending my clients, friends, colleagues, lovers, partners, myself to Beducated to practice hands-on skills in real real time that help you connect more with yourself and partners. They have all kinds of classes from top sexuality experts, ranging from tantric yoga for queer bodies with past guest Barbara Corellis to squirting with past guest Lola. Gene. There is something for everyone. And here's a hot tip. You can get that 65% off Beducated's yearly pass with our code S&S. Just go to Beducated.com and use our coupon code S&S. Your 65% off will be locked in for life. That's Beducated, B-E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D, Beducated.com and use code S&S. The link is also in our episode description. Now back to the episode. It definitely was work to break out of, I think, what we were either taught or not taught. And so then we like, you know, we inferred based on what wasn't shown. For me, I got over the jealousy piece rather quickly with a lot of the work that we've been talking about, like really digging into what's happening in my body. And what if I just like let these feelings like happen and like hold space for them and they would sort of process. And it was really nice because then they would leave. (laughs) And it would also cause me to see like, this has nothing to do with Pasha really has everything to do with me and things that happened to me when I was younger. Um, And I'm, you know, I can project that onto our relationship now, but I also don't have to, I could just trust and honor the commitment that, that we have. Um, And then I know for him, there were a few years sort of in the middle where we started to open up to new people separately. Um, and we hadn't yet met um, our third partner, Lauren, who's now more or less my partner. There were like these two and a half, three years where we would sort of date separately and everything was was pretty good. But there was always this sense that that Pasha would have when I would ask him about experiences that weren't coming from a place of like curiosity, but rather a place of either judgment or questioning the experience like control. To, to try to find something wrong or control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a point of sort of contention for us for a while because he would try to explain to me like what it felt like and what I was doing. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's not what I'm doing at all. I just, I just want the information, you know, because like I like to know. But the way that I was asking was always very, I had detective, like a detective under a light. I was going to say it had the energy of like an accusation 
And it took me a while. You fucked to, her, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. To, which, which is crazy because like we both knew that that sort of thing turned me on. Like I wanted to know about it. But it took a long time to realize that deep down, like the root of my communication was very like, what are you doing wrong? Um, and how he was also receiving that, you know, based on our like, I think root wounds as like children. And so that for years was just like this undercurrent where we couldn't really like get on the same page. And then we started doing therapy um, and we started our therapy journey right before the pandemic and went for like two months. We have an amazing therapist and like in, in eight sessions, we were like back to this blissful place. So then we stopped, which is like the worst thing you can do, by the way, like, please don't ever stop your therapy, even when it is working, because then we sort of got off track again and we went back six months ago and now we're in a really, really great place, realizing that a lot of this stuff was just, we communicate very differently and she will translate for us. So now we know how to translate for each other without... Mm -hmm having her in the middle. Um, and it's been amazing. But that was really the one thing. It's like all about how something is said and the energy behind it. Mm -hmm. I think so many couples probably get so off track because what the other person is hearing isn't actually what they mean. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, and absolutely. Do you find that in your work with couples? Because you work with a lot of couples. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about this uh, on the podcast and for listeners, if you're tuning in for the first time, maybe go back to listen to some episodes about like the erotic blueprint or other non-monogamy stuff with Kate Lurie, or um, there, there's a bunch of episodes kind of on this, but I would say that like, yeah, we all speak a certain language. We speak a language kind of personality wise, erotically, um, communication wise, that's based on like some inborn stuff, how we were raised, how we were conditioned, um, how our brain works, potential neurodiversity. And so I do think, yeah, it's less about like learning the same language, I guess, but more about having to figure out each other's language and being willing to learn that language and then finding a language that you can like speak together. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I definitely agree with that. I think sometimes uh, when I see partners in my office, they're like saying the same thing, but the way that they're saying it, you know, isn't landing because of their own stuff or because of who's receiving it or because of how it's said. And so, yeah, it's so common. Um, and I think it just takes a willingness to acknowledge there's a different language here and it doesn't mean there's anything bad. It's just, we have to figure out how to become a, a choir together uh, mm -hmm. and, and learn to like balance our, our notes and our language together. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. Yeah, someone who I, well, someone who I had on the podcast talked about it as a, um, like if you play the flute and he or they, or she plays the violin, um, then it doesn't mean that you can't make beautiful music together, but you're obviously not playing the same instrument. Um, mm -hmm. so it's figuring out, well, how can we make this beautiful music together based on each of our beautiful sounds that we're bringing in? Yeah. And that's making me think of how that bleeds into like other parts of sort of opening up and being, you know, polyamorous or just non-monogamous in general, because like the same way we all have different languages, like everyone has different relationship styles and everyone mm -hmm. has different sort of wants and needs and desires that they would like met outside of maybe their primary partner or if they're solo yeah. poly. And just to realize that and make space in your relationship to be different yeah. um, was a big learning for us because we started our journey doing everything together. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think that's how a lot of people start. Cause it's mm -hmm. like, it feels uh, safer. Sometimes. Yeah, of course. And I also think, I mean, this is my experience, you know, as like a, a white woman in a marriage with a man who's, you know, and I'm queer and he's not. And so like, just coming from my experience, you know, other people might have a different one, but we felt like that bonding time because we were monogamous for maybe seven months until, you know, that accidental threesome. And we had been hooking up for maybe like a year before that. But from like when we made a commitment to each other, moved in together, you know, we had that little period. And then we had another year and a half of, you know, just doing things together. And I actually think for us and the type of relationship that we want, because then, we, you know, we're married and we want to have a family that was like really important and i think really instrumental in our trust and our foundation um but I, you know 
not going to work for everybody and everybody's different. So yeah, I know that this was great for us because then when we did open up and start to see other people and realize like I liked deep, intimate relationships with consistency, you know, and he was more like, I don't have time or space for that. Like, I just want that with you. But like, I would love to go on trips or vacations and be able to like, you know, have a one night stand or whatever. It was like, oh, we're very different people. We have these different styles and it doesn't Mm -hmm. make mine wrong or his bad. It was like, oh, this is just like how we'd like to do these external relationships. Um, Where I think I even talked to a lot of couples where it's like they expect that the other one is going to operate the same way they do. And it causes a lot of like stress and grief in the relationship Mm -hmm. um, because they can't quite understand like, well, why do you want to see the same person over and over again? You know, or like, why do you want, you know, sleep with five people this month as opposed to like one. So yeah. What was most helpful for you two in maybe navigating that? Cause I hear that you have different things that you prefer and get out of the relationship. So how did you navigate that when there were, I guess, differing desires of what openness meant? Yeah. Well, you know, in the beginning, it's not easy because you're being met with all this newness and you can't quite wrap your head around it because it's not your experience or desire. But we started to have the agreement that we wouldn't, well, actually it was born out of something else, but we had an agreement and we still do. I mean, our agreements are very kind of loose and non-existent anymore. It's like, you know, consent, everybody has to know kind of thing. And then that's really it. But we decided we would never make the other person wrong for wanting to try something or having a desire. And that sort of educated us around maybe where we were going wrong when we started to be like, well, that's not how I want our our relationship to be. Not realizing that it was just like my piece of the relationship and his piece of the relationship. So mm-hmm. we were like, oh, okay. You know, because we were willing to try something with the other person, even just once, even if it wasn't something that like we thought we liked. Because Side note, born out of a lot of that was realizing, oh my God, I actually do like this. It was like something that- Yeah, I think it usually comes from like, I wouldn't like that. And then people don't do it. And then maybe if they do, they're like, oh, actually, I don't know why I thought I wouldn't like that. Probably because of programming or whatever. Yeah. And I, I think just, you know, I always remind people when they ask me like, oh my God, well, how do you, how can you just be so chill about everything? And I'm like, well, you're seeing the product of eight years of being in this space and like working on ourselves in this way. So somewhere in the middle, when we started to realize we had these different styles, it was a step back and to realize we're such, we're our own people. We never want to sort of have that ownership of one another or limit the other person's expression in their lives. Like if we love each other unconditionally, we want this person to grow, to be themselves and to constantly become like exactly who they're meant to be. And so the idea of limiting each other was really, you know, I think made us both feel really icky and, you know, just, we both like a lot of freedom, just like who we are as people in sort of like our astrological constitutions. So once we realized that our vision for our life was like that the other person would grow as much as they're supposed to in whatever direction, and we would sort of hold space for that, that made our relationship boundaries very easy. Like maybe we're going to have to feel some type of pain around this, but like we don't have to suffer. This might cause jealousy, but that's something for me to work on. I might be confused, but I get to be confused while you get to have what you want sort of thing. Mm, That's Um, beautifully said. And I think for listeners out there who aren't into non-monogamy, aren't non-monogamous, like I think this can apply to any permutation of relationship mm -hmm. um, just to use like a less you know, sex or additional relationship example, like if your partner, I'll just say if my partner, which is true, really loves baseball and video games. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't fucking get it. (laughs) Like, I would much rather you want to watch true crime and, you know, do this other thing that I really like to do. Um, I think this is a good, what you're saying is a good lesson for, yeah, for any relationship to, to be able to take a step back and be like, I chose this person because it's an additional person who's their own person and their own, yeah, individualness. And to be able to not just accept that, but to also encourage and embrace that growth instead of worrying that that's going to like push you apart. Um, 
yeah. I think is important for any connection. Yeah. And I love, you know, I love that you kind of joked about baseball and TV, right? Because it's, it's funny to like view it like that, but what I, I love it because I'm always reminding people it is that simple. A sexual preference is just a preference. A relationship preference is just a preference, but we make sex so precious in our society. And we've like, we, we make it, you know, taboo and we make it all of these things and we like, you know, keep it very scarce because there's no education yeah. around well, it. Well, that kind of starts with the concept of virginity too, right? Mm-hmm. That it's this thing that's like so defining. Yeah. And so I just love that you painting it in that light because it is so true. It's really the same. And so you should encourage your partner to be different and have their own thing and, and have their independence and um, their all, all their own hobbies and all their own friends because that breeds a lot of mystery and desire, especially in long-term relationships, especially in monogamous relationships. I, I just recorded an episode um, called Staying in Discovery Mode, and it's all about how to keep the spice alive in whatever relationship structure you're in because... Yeah, you know. it's, it's not lying to yourself and thinking that you know everything about the other person. Yeah, it's not sexy to know everything about the person that you're with, especially if you're planning on being together for a long time. Yeah. Like what's, what's sexy is, you know, having different new experiences and then coming back together and getting to sort of reveal yourself again because it's like such a, a reminder, at least in my experience of that first like year together, the first two years where you're like finding out everything about Mm -hmm. somebody and there's still mystery and you're like learning this person. And so I think to continue to do that and repeat kind of that cycle of like creating mystery because that creates desire, like, you know, love Esther Perel's work on, Mm -hmm. you know, how to create desire in, in relationships and yeah. So dude, go do your own thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is a, if this is what Esther Perel says, but the way I describe it to clients is thinking back to like, I don't know, eighth grade science where you've got, and I'm not going to say this all correctly because I'm definitely not in this kind of science in my life now, but like when you've got two atoms or molecules and talking about like bonds and attractions, you need two entities and or more but you need separateness in order to form a connection Mm -hmm. Um, because if you are one unit there's no connection because you're just one atom as opposed to like two connecting together yeah Um, and so I think yeah the way Esther Perel talks a lot about it is I think people want to become one because that feels safe right there's this safety of like if I know everything about you you can hurt me less Mm. or like it feels easier in some way. But then if you're one, there's no possibility to connect because you're already enmeshed as a, as a unit. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's like making me think of polarity too, like, you know, a negative and a positive Mm -hmm. Um, you or, or like masculine and feminine energy, right? It's really important to, um, well, first of all, to have that balance within yourself because we all have access to both and there are these their qualities of energy, not necessarily like relating to genders. But I think it's it's important to have that in your romantic relationship too, because there has to be balance in that space, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just as we start to sort of wrap up, I want to make time for like the parts of this that have been the best um, mm-hmm. or pleasurable and exciting and also like what it's taught you about yourself. Um, so kind of moving away from like, what's difficult, because we know that all relationships take work. Like, what do you feel like have been some of the highlights of this opening up both relationally and individually? Yeah, oh, so many. I mean, we've gotten so many gifts, I think, along the way in our relationship of being open and being poly as well. Um, just the other people that have come into our lives that we've been able to connect with on a deeper way and not just like romantic or sexual relationships. But I share this a lot on my show. I feel like my relationships with women in my life have been so much deeper and so much more pure, the love that I can share with other women, just as my sisters, Mm -hmm. because I've done so much healing work by being with other women and you know, my partner, Lauren, who you got to meet, um, came into our lives about three years ago and falling in love with a woman, which is something I never imagined possible for myself. I love to have sex with women. I thought women were beautiful, but I never imagined like a romantic connection with one. 
um, has been like one of the most deeply healing experiences of my life because I carried a lot of shame around um, my sexuality or my attraction to women from a young age, just different experiences that happened and yeah. some guilt there as well. And I always sort of, I think subconsciously, anytime I was with a woman was like allowing me to soften those edges of like what I had seen as wrong. And so then me wanting to experience it made me sort of loathe myself on some level. And so my relationship with Lauren has gotten to be very nurturing. Um, it's so many different dynamics. Like uh, sometimes we have a lot of, you know, mother daughter energy in our relationship that has been very healing for me or sister energy that's been very healing. And I think I've gotten to know my body better actually. Mm. Um, and my husband's amazing. Don't get me wrong. Like it's, he's, he's actually like, it's such an incredible lover. I always make, well, but I, I hear that in like having the capacity to love another woman in that way, like that it extends to like loving yourself as a woman that way. Yeah. And just to like discover a, a body that you've never like discovered before having only been with men, um, also reminded me to slow down so much in the bedroom Mm -hmm. um, which has been a huge gift. So I feel like I've gotten to know my body better based on getting to know her body because oh, wow, mm -hmm. wow, we're so different, even though like we kind of have the same body. Yeah. Um, so like my education has gone up. <laughs> That's been amazing. Um, and then, you know, if, if I'm thinking about long-term with Pasha, every experience that we've had has brought us closer together because we get to see each other as new. You know, when we mm -hmm. have relationship energy with other people, we bring that back into like our life and our sex life. And mm -hmm. so we've like rarely had a dull moment in a very positive way. Whereas I find that, you know, the sex lives of couples does fizzle out when you're monogamous, especially for women. Um, you know, a lot of studies have been coming out that show that we definitely have a harder time staying in long-term monogamous relationships and, and, and staying in a place where we have desire for our partners. Yes. Everyone go back and listen to the episode with Wednesday Martin. Yes. Oh my God. I love her. You have yes, she's great. Oh. Yes. She's great. Everyone listening. If you're just tuning in, um, she has a book called untrue that talks about some of these studies and there's more coming out all the time. So oh my gosh. Thank you. yes, thank yeah. you. Untrue is like, was my Bible for like a year. It was like next to my bedside. Um, yes. I love that. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that's been like the biggest gift. I'm like, and you know, I think, or at least me, I grew up thinking, okay, you know, you, you get married and you kind of settle in and things will fizzle out over time. Right. And you know, whether the sex dwindles or the connection dwindles, whatever it is, you know, and I'm still young, I'm 36. So like, who knows what'll happen, but I look at my future and I'm super excited because I feel like based on the relationship that we have now and everything that we've been through and all the joy that we've been able to experience, it will only just keep growing and blossoming like in that love because of the relationship structure that we have. And something to look forward to. Really exciting. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I need more of that thought mentality, not just with the sex stuff, but I think in day to day things of like the best years are ahead, but we're so uh, conditioned to think that the best years are behind. Mm -hmm. I know, right? Especially as women that like getting older, it's like you're, you know, everything sucks. <laughs> Adulthood sucks. Aging sucks. Wrinkles suck. It's so true. Your vagina falls out and stops mm -hmm. existing. Your tits drop to the ground. Like it's all, you know, it's all so ingrained. Yeah, the picture, I mean, because it's really beneficial for capitalism for us to believe that, but it's mm -hmm. not true. <laughs> yeah, well, it's sort of this picture of the, what's called like, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, like archetypes, but like the crone, mm -hmm. right? So if people don't know what that is, it's sort of like this wise older woman figure. And that's sort of been used as a negative term of like old crone, as opposed to this like uh, beautiful, evolved all-knowing yeah. entity mm -hmm. yeah wise medicine woman yeah. i love it i'm ready i've got so much gray hair growing in and i'm just letting it i'm just letting it grow in i'm like i'm already in my i feel like sometimes i'm <laughs> in the crone stages <laughs> hey the, yeah i mean good i think it's a good stage to be in yeah um, i had a hysterectomy so i kind of feel very like 
disconnected from my like maiden mother uh, form sometimes. oh man I feel like that's a whole nother podcast episode that we should mm-hmm. have but if you feel comfortable answering in like a, a little short taste of it um how did you manage with any hormonal changes um sexually that came with the hysterectomy so I and for I, people who don't know what is a hysterectomy yeah, just in case yeah I'll give you the like highlight version um, yeah give me the give me the yeah. summary of your <laughs> like a hysterectomy could be a 45 minute thing <laughs> I know you'll have to come back and talk more about it yeah so um I was diagnosed with cervical cancer I had a very aggressive um tumor when I was 27 and I luckily had a radical hysterectomy not a full which meant I I got to keep my ovaries um, but in a radical hysterectomy, your ovaries are not attached to anything anymore. So there's no blood supply. So eventually they do sort of die off on their own. Um, so I had my surgery, I guess almost nine years ago. I actually didn't have to do any hormone therapy, luckily. Um, but they told me that I would have a very early onset of menopause. And so sometimes I'm like, is it happening? Is it happening? When I like wake up in the middle of the night, Mm. like I'm starting to wake up like with hot sweats. Um, but I did certainly go through a ton of dryness, um, and something that I just now learned how to manage, which is crazy. (laughs) Like that I didn't sort of seek out answers for that sooner, but I was going to say how, how many doctors even talked about you know, potential sexual effects. Nobody, like no one shared. And it's that, this is a whole other episode. So I would love to know so far. Yes, please. Oh my God. I know you fucking dropped this hysterectomy bomb. And I was like, that's, that's great content. People need to hear about this. Sure. I'm happy to. I mean, that the- (laughs) Let's explore your medical history for good podcast content. (laughs) No, you know what? I think that talking about it, or I've learned over the years because I didn't, I was sort of, I had that like, um, almost like survivor's guilt because- I didn't have chemo and, you know, I had it, this, this very aggressive, like could be worse kind of. Yeah. So I I felt almost like guilty for identifying as like a cancer survivor because I only had cancer. Like I literally knew about it for like 14 days before, or like something crazy, like 11 days from diagnosis to you must have a hysterectomy like next week. Um, so there was this very short window, but to your point, my post-op situation was way worse than anything that I ever experienced, like finding out because the amount of things that changed in my body as like almost a domino effect of not, of not having these organs that no one prepared me for or gave me any support around lasted for years, sort of like not having any lymph nodes in the lower lower region of my body gave me so many ailments in different systems. Like Mm. I was seeing a GI specialist. I was seeing a dermatologist for these massive skin, um, like dry leg situation. Mm -hmm. I had, um, constant reoccurring infections after that, that just like couldn't figure out bowel obstructions every quarter. Like I would end up in the hospital for a small intestinal obstruction because it was like getting caught on my scar tissue. Like just, the amount of things that I think because women's bodies are studied way less or maybe they, they're not, but the information isn't out there and especially like our, you know, our reproductive organs. I think I went through so much of my own research and becoming my own advocate. It took me years to realize that I was even, that that was going to be my path, that I, I love sharing it now because I think it's so valuable. Um, so yeah, just some vaginal dryness and then once I figured that out, now I've been in a really, really good place, but yeah. Yeah. Anything that was particularly helpful? Um, vitamin E suppositories. Like it was that simple. Somebody was like, Oh, go to the, actually my therapist. She was like, do you know about the Santa Monica homeopathic pharmacy? And I was like, no. And she's like, Oh, just head down there. Tell them what's going on. And sure enough, this is an amazing place. You guys, if you live in LA, there is the Santa Monica homeopathic pharmacy and there's like a bunch of people there on staff that work there full time. Have you ever been to this place? No, but it sounds great. It's amazing. And they're all like, you know, who's a Chinese medicine expert? Who's an Ayurveda expert? You know, all of these brilliant like people that just work there and can answer all of your questions. And I went and got these amazing remedies that now like I don't, you know, I'm not stressing out or, cause I was getting a lot of, um, bacteria vaginosis, 
which mm. I was like equating to like, is this because I'm having sex with like new partners? And then it would happen when I wasn't having sex with new partners. But I found out it was literally because of the dryness. Yeah. And you know, that when you have a lot of friction and dryness, it creates like bacteria because of like micro tears. And I was like, mm. literally vitamin E suppository. And I've been, I've never had anything happen since. Oh, okay. I love it. Well, obviously listeners, we are not your doctors or replacement <laughs> for your doctors. Vitamin E worked for Jessica. And if you are in the LA area or can come to the LA area, I want to shout out my favorite uh, sexual medicine doctors that I refer people to. Um, that's Dr. Lisa Valle in Santa Monica. She has Oasis Women's Sexual Function Center uh, and Dr. Joshua Gonzalez uh, in the West Hollywood area. Um, they are like urogynecologists that specialize in sexual medicine. So everything from hormones to pelvic pain, um, they are very thorough and go find out what's going on for you before you're just putting vitamin E suppositories in you and make sure it's what your body needs. <laughs> yes. Love the disclaimer. <laughs> yes, I have to, you know, as, yeah. a, as a health practitioner. Okay, I'm usually advertising for other companies, but I really want to promote an event that I am co-hosting coming up called Into Pleasure that features a lot of past guests. I would love to see you slutty scholars there, virtually that is. You can find all of the info and buy tickets at intopleasure.com. The event is open to women and any marginalized genders. And right now the early bird, which is lasting until March 21st, full day is only $97. Into Pleasure was created by past podcast guest burlesque star Michelle Lamour. It is an all virtual event happening on April 2nd from 9:30 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. On April 2nd, will we we will dive into pleasure. We will learn from experts about sexuality, sensuality, and play. Absolutely no experience required. These classes are great if you are just starting your pleasure journey or if you are a pleasure pro. Join us for a full day of activities or you can pick and choose your own pleasure classes a la carte. I will be speaking alongside past podcast guests Goddess Coco Meow and Jave DeBay, as well as Michelle Lamore and this amazing bondage duo named Leaf and Icarus. All of the sessions are super interactive and cover everything from beauty rituals to kink and rope tying and even sensual movement. We'll also be having a great virtual goodie bag featuring some really amazing advertisers. So come get Into Pleasure with me and get your early bird discount tickets now at intopleasure.com. Hope to see you there. But oh my gosh, we have so many more things to cover and we have to wrap up. So uh, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. How can folks... Um, follow what you're doing both with the podcast and otherwise and get in touch. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I hang out mostly on Instagram, so you can check out my podcast at open late the podcast. And then, um, my personal Instagram is journey dot with dot Jessica, where I do talk a lot about relationships and, um, coach people and I facilitate women's retreats with my partner, Lauren. So yeah. Yes. And they're awesome. I have been to places, like I said, where they are teaching I'm planning to go to more. So um, they're extraordinary and you should all check them out. Thank you. And again, listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing on the podcast, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Slut Scholars. Uh, and don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps. And check out the advertiser discounts. Thank you. And talk to you next time.